But I want to welcome all of our campuses to week one of our brand new series called When Life Hurts. Come on, can we just welcome all the campuses joining us? Orleans Justice Center, Gulf Coast, South Shore, online here at Little Creek. We are so excited. We finished up six-week series called Born for This. Uh, again, if you are a guest here, if you've not been here before, all of our messages are online. You can go, if you miss one, you can go download that, whether podcast or watch it on video. And of course, we do give away our CDs as well. We, we did a six-week series called Born for This, Discovering Why That We Are Here uh, on This Planet. Last week, Mardi Gras weekend, we had Pastor Tommy Barnett. And as we come in to this season, it's the Lenten season from from Mardi Gras all the way uh, to, to, to Easter. It's a six-week period of time. It's a time of reflection. It's a time where we, where, where, where we do a little bit of personal inventory as we march and walk towards the cross. It's interesting when you think about the cross and what the cross means. And it's amazing. It's a, it's a beautiful piece of artistry that people wear around their neck. I, I often wonder in, in our nation, in our culture, how many people don't really understand what that cross is about? It's beautiful. You'll see it in paintings and you'll, you'll, you'll see it uh, architecture and things that will be designed that way. And yet, I wonder if they really understand the implications of the cross. Today we're going to talk about what took place on that cross with a person. His name is Jesus. Before I jump into the message, I want to begin by asking you guys a question. Have you ever had one of those days where you thought to yourself, when you woke up, I hope and pray that today is not like yesterday. You ever had one of those days? I'm serious. I mean, it felt like everything went wrong, whether it's something, something mechanically with your car, and then you get to the job and, and work and, and relationally, and you think, wait, time out, time out. I am praying that today is not like yesterday. I've had days like that before. I've had days where I thought to myself, my gosh, you know, maybe I'll just get back in my bed and we'll start over 30 minutes from now. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and so Sundays are a, a big day for me. Matter of fact, it's funny. I had somebody ask me one time, say, you know, pastor, you know, you work on Sundays. What do you do the rest of the week? <laughs> just drive around and drink coffee? <laughs> That's it. I really, I just kind of wander around, follow you guys around. You know, I really don't have anything else to do, you know. Sundays are a big day, and so what I do is, is of course, we have Saturday night church as well. Uh, if you guys, at 5.30 at the Little Creek campus, and... Uh, Oh, but Sunday's a big day, so I, I wake up in the morning, and so I set two alarms now, and it's important, so I have an alarm on my phone, and then I have an alarm on a clock, because if there's rain or lightning, or who knows, the power goes out, you know, and so it's a big deal, it's a big deal for me to wake up on time, there's been times where, for whatever reason, maybe it was a demonic, you know, infiltration or whatever, my alarms have not gone off. For whatever reason, maybe I forgot, maybe the power went out. And I remember one time that that happened where neither of them, I woke up a little bit late and I couldn't find my message. Now as a pastor, it's important I have a message. I don't just get up and make things up on the weekend. I write out everything word for word. And, and my mom was a teacher, so I circle things. I put it in yellow. I do acrostics. Okay, so this is important. Now, so this is important. I do eight pages, all right? If I do nine pages, it's 42 minutes. If I do eight pages, it's 37 minutes. So I have, this is important. This is what I do. <laughs> so if you lose this on Sunday morning, this is not good. 
I know they have copies at church, but they don't have the little squiggies and little circle things. And so I wake up late. I couldn't find my message. I'm praying for the rapture. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm just like, I got to get out of here. This thing is not going, this thing's not going well at all. You ever had a bad day? You ever had a day where nothing went right? The truth is all of us have had days like that. Maybe you're in a day like that today. Maybe it wasn't today, but it was yesterday. It was, it was last week. A relational bump in a family, maybe a marriage, a child, or something in your job, something you didn't see coming, a curveball or a medical report. How do you get through a bad day? How do you, how do you deal with life when life hurts? I'll tell parents all the time, don't ever tell your kid, listen, don't ever tell your child that life doesn't have any bobos. Don't ever tell your child, man, life's amazing. No, no, God is good, but life's hard. Life, life's not easy. We live in a fallen world, and we also have an antagonist named the devil, and, 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 and there's brokenness. And yet, yes, with God, we can overcome, but life's, life's not easy. That's why it's so important for us to, to have a model. I, I want to teach you guys a, a theological term that I think is so important and I think it's important for us over the next number of weeks for us to understand. Here's what it's called. It's called the hypostatic union. And what that is, is Jesus Christ, remember, he lived, he was born, all right, from a virgin Mary, and he grew up to about the age of 33, and then he was crucified. But Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. Now, that's important because a lot of times we understand the divinity of Christ in the sense that he's, he's, he is God, but we, uh, we underestimate, underappreciate the fact that he was also 100% man. And in his humanity, he hurt. In his humanity, he felt pain. In his humanity, he went through some tough days. In six weeks, we're going to celebrate... We call it a celebration. We call it a service at all of our campuses at 6 o'clock in the morning. We have what's called a Good Friday service, 6 a.m. We'll have it here at Little Creek. We'll have it at all the campuses. And we will be having as well uh, Easter weekend services, resurrection services. They're two distinct services. One is, one is celebrating, commemorating, honoring the whole concept of what happened on Good Friday. Listen to me. Good Friday was only good for us. It wasn't good for Jesus. Let's rewind it a little bit. Let's go 12 hours before the cross, Thursday night. When Jesus, when the, when the messianic expectation of what Christ had come for was, was right upon him, the cross, what, what was he doing? I'm pumped about tomorrow. He wasn't doing that at all. He wasn't doing that. Tell you what he was doing. He was in a garden. I've been to that garden in the general proximity, probably within 100 yards. I've been right there on the Mount of Olives. I've been at the base of that, which is the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me tell you what Jesus was doing. He wasn't giving high fives on Thursday night. I'll tell you what he was doing. He was, he was kneeling down. Matter of fact, he had Peter, James, and John, his three amigos, that he tried to get to come pray with him. And the Bible says that he was under such excruciating pain that he was drops of blood were coming from his, from his, from his body. And here's what he said. Here, here, listen to this. Here's what he said. The pain, he knew what was about to happen. Here's what he said. Editorialized version. 
if there's any other way that I can get out of this, let it happen. But not what I want, but God, what, what you want. Now, let me tell you something. Good Friday was only good for us. It wasn't good for Jesus. It was actually a very, very bad day. It's interesting when I think about Jesus and his humanity, the model that he provided for us, who he was, and what he experienced that day. You ever tasted of this? Jesus tasted the fruit of betrayal on that day. Judas, who he walked with for three and a half years, sold him for 30 pieces of silver. He poured his life into it. You ever been betrayed before? It was also a day of lying, what we call Good Friday, a day of lying where people lying tongues in compromised courts, corrupt courts, by the way. No defense attorney. One time Jesus tried to defend himself. Bam, they slapped him in the face. He didn't have an advocate, a lawyer standing there defending him. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a good day for him. It was good for us. It wasn't good for him. It was a day of brutal beatings and vicious bloodshed, of angry tyrants and mindless mobs and whether starting at Caiaphas and the court system when the Sanhedrin law and all the way to the Roman law early in the morning when finally Pontius Pilate abandoned him and gave him, listen, and gave him to the cries of the mobs. And ultimately, that would have been bad enough. But his own father, when Jesus lifted his voice and says, Father, Father, we're going to talk about that, by the way, during this series. What did this mean? Why hast thou forsaken me? What does that mean? Let me tell you something. It wasn't a good day for Jesus. And yet, and yet, he moved through that day. And yet, so can you and I. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of the emotional pain, regardless of the struggle, on a family level, on a personal, a professional, financial, whatever it is, let me tell you something. As Christ went through his bad day, listen to me, so can you and I. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What is this picture of? The, the writer in Hebrews is, is giving us a picture and a glimpse into heaven. And in a sense, we are, we are surrounded by this. Who are the cloud of witnesses? Those men and women that trusted Christ as their Savior, that a relationship with God, and they went, they went before us. They're, they're in the grandstands of heaven. That's what they're doing. They're cheering us on. We're on the field. They're in the grandstands. They've run their race. We've not completed our race. So what are they doing? They're cheering us on, saying, listen, make sure to lay aside every weight. What are the weights? The cares of life, the struggles, the responsibilities. By the way, it's not sin alone that derails us, but it's also, it's, 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 it's when we don't deal with pressure correctly. It's the, the weights of life and the sins which so easily ensnare us. Let us run with endurance the race. We have a race. You have a race. I have a race. But look what he says. The writer in Hebrews says in verse 2, it says, looking unto who? Everybody say it. Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. So now there's an analogy where because of Jesus, he is our model, because he went through a bad day, because he experienced hurt in his humanity, he experienced the ultimate pain of rejection, ridicule, all of that. 
He went before us. He is a model for us. How did he do it? I'll tell you how he did it. This is, this is a template. Here it is. You guys ready? And this is what I'm going to talk about today. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. In other words, he, he was able to deal with his present pain because of the future outcome of some joy. He was able to deal with what he was going through today because of the hope of a better tomorrow. He was able to deal with that. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down to the right hand of Almighty God. I want to suggest to you today that, 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 that regardless of what we're going through today, it's our assurance for the believer of a better tomorrow. Hey, and it may be when you get to heaven. But there's a better day coming. There's something for the believer that resonates within our heart that there's an assurance. Everybody say assurance. There's an assurance that this life is not all there is. There's an assurance that, that we are going through. We're not going under. We're not capitulating. We're not, we're not rolling over and quitting. But we're moving through this. Somebody, I'm not sure who, but somebody in our church started a thing a number of years ago called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting in January. Must have been one of our other pastors because I like food. Can I have a witness in the house of God? I, I'm just playing. We, 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 we do something around here called prayer and fasting, and, it's, and there's different levels of fast, an absolute fast, which I don't ever recommend. No food will water. Paul did that once. Jesus did that, but we're not, I'm not, I'm neither. Uh, we also do what's called liquid fast around here where people would kind of do juice and waters and stuff. And then there's a Daniel fast, which is basically eating healthy, no carbs, no sweets, no meats, fruits, vegetables. And so what I'll do is first week or so, you know, I'll do juice. And I've done, by the way, I've done the all water for 10 days and I, I appreciate that. And Pastor Randy does that. He's much holier than I am. He, and I, I mean that. He is. He doesn't drink coffee. He does all this stuff. I'm like, look, I've done the whole not drink coffee. Then I have headaches. Then I get mad. Then I get proud. Then God resists me. So it kind of invalidates the whole thing. So I'm just going to drink the coffee and enjoy my fast. But anyway, there's something about, there's something about on that fast. There's something about you get day six, seven, getting ready to know that you're getting ready to know you're getting to switch into the Daniel. There's something about the thought of broccoli. Are you with this? Something about the thought of lentil soup, 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 soup which you would never eat in your right mind outside of a Daniel fast. That's not even from God. But anyway, so there's something about knowing that there's something coming that's good that gives you the power to endure the not so good. Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, it was the joy that was set before him, knowing that one day he was going to have relationship with us, those that trusted in Christ, those that put their faith in Christ, that, that we would be forgiven of our sins and we would come into relationship with God. That thought caused him to persevere through that bad day. And it's in this moment where we come with Jesus dying on the cross that, by the way, he didn't die alone. There's actually two men next to him. There was three crosses that day on Mount Calvary, Golgotha, a portion of Mount Calvary. There was actually two men. There was one on the right, and there was one on the left. There wasn't just one man being crucified. There was three men being crucified. 
We don't know a lot of what they did other than that at some level they were thieves. And secondly, that Jesus has this conversation with these guys. In this conversation, this is fascinating. In this conversation, we get a blink. We get an insight into the lives of two men. One man was a blasphemer and the other man, watch this, and the other man was coming to a point of repentance. I want to look at the second man in Luke chapter 23, verse 39, and how Jesus cared for both the men, but connected with one because of the man's heart and his response to repent and cry out to God. Luke chapter 23, verse 39 to 43, all right? I want to talk to you today about one word, assurance. Can you say it with me? What is it? There's something about the assurance that Jesus gives us of a better tomorrow that gives us the grace to go through a bad day. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Kind of mocking. Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. So he's on one side, Jesus is in the middle. And here's this guy, hey, hey, buddy. Hey, if you're the Messiah, why don't you take yourself down from that cross? While you're at it, why don't you get us down from here? But the other criminal, there's on, on the other side. He protested. And he's now talking past Jesus to the other guy. Don't, don't you even fear God? We're about to die, man. We've been sentenced to die. I mean, there's moments, maybe hours, minutes. Hey, hey, hey. So now this guy on this side is shouting across Jesus to this other guy. Don't you fear God? We, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man, speaking of Jesus, he hasn't done anything wrong. 42, then he said, Jesus, here it is. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Last verse. And Jesus replied, and here's my word. I, what's that next word? Assure you. I assure you. The assure. How many of you know when Jesus assures you, you're assured? It's, it's not... I'm thinking about, maybe, it depends, I'm open. How many of you know I'm open is different than I assure you? I assure you, today, everybody say today. Today, today you'll be with me in paradise. I, I want to talk to you about the when, the why, the how of salvation and how that assurance brings us a settleness in our, in our soul. And it brings a peace in our soul, regardless of what we're going through. I'm going to be talking for six weeks. I'm going to look at all the, um, seven statements, six weeks. That means one week, I'm going to deal with two. I can do it. Pray for me. But these statements from the cross, how these statements from the cross lifted from the words of Jesus bring hope and bring encouragement to each one of us. I want to look at four things the dying man knew. Four things that this man Knew. Number one, he knew that he would face God after death. The guy that was repenting, he knew it. He knew it. Look what it says in verse 40. Here's what he says. He says that this guy over here, the blasphemer, to blaspheme means to put down, to disparage, to disdain, to, to deconstruct the worth and the value of an individual. And that, that's what this guy was doing. Hey, aren't you Jesus? He's blaspheming. But the other guy says, don't you fear God? even when you've been sentenced to die. In other words, this guy over here, he knew something that this guy didn't know. He knew that he was about to stand before God. He knew that death wasn't the end, but actually death is just the beginning. It's interesting when you see how some people live, you often wonder, do they really understand the seriousness of, 
the, both the brevity and the seriousness of life. That death is not the end. Death is just the beginning. That we are eternal beings. And, and there, is, there, is, there, is a, there is there is another step. There's another place that we're, we're going to live in eternity. We, where we live is dependent upon what we do with Jesus in the, in the here and now. That, and this guy says, listen, you're about to see God, man. What are you doing? You're minutes away. You're moments away from, you're, you're about to see God. You're about to step into a, you're about to step and stand before God. There's a, a man that we've all appreciated and utilized his dictionary that was initially designed by him, Noah Webster. And the Webster's Dictionary, just brilliant. This guy had a, just a genius mind, a colossal intellect, just a brilliant man. And 1823, he wrote that. And he was a born-again, on-fire Christian, loved Christ. And someone once asked him, they said, what is the, they asked him, say, Noah, what, what, is, the, what is the most profound thought that ever went through your mind? Here's what he said. You guys ready for this? Here's what he said. He said, the most profound thought that has ever gone through my mind. Now, you know this guy's thoughts and big thoughts. He wrote the dictionary. Okay? Here it is. You ready for this? Here, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. That my life is accountable to my creator. See, if you know that your life, if you know that you're going to stand before God one day, you're going to live different. But if you're just thinking, okay, Sarah, Sarah, and I'm going into the ground, that's it. I'll live nihilistic, narcissistic. I'll live at Dubai. Because it doesn't matter, right? But, 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 but if you know that you're going to stand before God. By the way, Hollywood, it's a big thing in Hollywood today. They, they, you know, it's, it's interesting how, how much these actors and actresses, it's kind of a cool thing to believe in reincarnation. Reincarnation basically states that we're in this life and based upon how you do, how good you do or how bad you do, if you do real bad and you're kind of mean, then you come back and try it again, kind of like soul migration. And so you come back as, let's say you do bad, you come back as a roach. <laughs> but if you do roach charity events as a roach, you may kick back up into a higher life form. Okay, first of all, not only is that not biblical, it's nonsensical. And, and let me explain why. Scripture says it this way. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no soul migration where you just run this thing again. Hebrews 9, 27. Everyone must die. Everybody say it once. One time. That's it. You get one shot at this. We get one shot at this. It's not two, not three. Not, it's once. And after that, we stand before God. See, if you know that you're going to stand before God, if I know that I'm going to stand before God, there's, there's a different, different response to life. You know, I checked this out. I did. I, some of you guys went to LSU. I don't know if they still have this class, but I, I remember my friends really struggled with QBA, quantitative business analysis. This deep, I did a deep and analytical study this week on a statistic. All right, you, you guys ready? Here it is. Let me tell you what the mortality rate in the United States is. It's 100%. That was profound, wasn't it? All of us are going to die. It's going to happen. One of our great beloved forefathers said what? There are two certainties in life. What are they? Taxes and death. I want to say definitely death. 
going to die. This man knew, hey, buddy, we are about to stand before God. Second thing that he knew is he knew that he had sinned against God. Look at verse 41. Here's what he said. He says, we deserve to die for our crimes. We deserve it. Isn't it refreshing to hear or to see somebody that actually owns their sin, that actually owns it? We don't do that in our culture. We obfuscate, circumvent, go around, deny, rationalize, victimize. Everybody else's problem, not mine. Really? Let me give you a word, confess. Everybody say confess. Confess. Confession is from two Greek words. Homo means same. Legeo, word, logos. Homo legeo, it means to say the same word implied as God. When we confess our sin, we're actually agreeing with God that that sin is injurious to us. That's what we're doing. We're going, you're right, God, that was not good. That's what it is. But of course, in our culture, come on, let me press it out a little bit. You can't say the S word. We don't call it sin anymore. We call it a mistake. I made a mistake. Let me help everybody. A mistake is you miss a U-turn. That's a mistake. You don't need a savior for a mistake. You need an eraser. I made a mistake. Give me an eraser. But if you call it sin, everybody say sin. Okay, that's a heavy word, all right? But it's a biblical word. But if you own your sin, then you're positioned for the Savior. Does that make sense? Jesus didn't die on the cross to forgive you of your mistakes. Right? Oh, you precious one. I'm coming with my divine eraser. He came with his blood to cleanse us of our transgression. Do you see the difference? This guy said, I messed up. I sinned. I shouldn't have done it. Oh, God. I own it. I own it. Man, it's hard to own things in our culture. We are sophisticated and just going around it. But you can't get forgiveness unless you confess. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes in a righteousness and with the mouth he confesses unto salvation. So salvation is located for the believer in two places, in the heart and in the mouth. I believe and I confess. What do I confess? My need for Christ to save me from my sins. Let me give you a couple, two or three problems with this for some people. Number one is if they don't understand the difference between a mistake and a sin. Number two is we compare. Let me talk about this. Y'all still with me? Yes? Three people. You're awesome. Okay, y'all with me? All right, here it is. Here it is. Ready? We compare. We compare, don't we? Let me show you how we compare. We compare based upon the fact that, well, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not great, but I'm not as bad as that person. A lot better than her. A lot better than him. So we compare. We, we, that's what we do. Let me prove it to you that this is the, this is the paradigm in the mindset of culture. If you talk to them about Jesus, sin, or whatever, here's what they'll say. He say, you know, all of us have sinned, you know, kind of blown it, you know. And, and here's what they'll say. Here's what they'll say. And now there's no way with a couple thousand people here, there's no way that I could have 
prompted you to say what you're going to say because it's so deeply inserted into our culture. There's no way I could have. I, I can't auto-suggest this, but you're going to say the blank that I'm going to give you. You're going to say the right word. You ready for this? If you tell somebody you've sinned, man, you need a Savior, and they say, well, I'm not that bad, the next thing they'll say is, I have never. You fill in the blank, all right? There's no way that I could have could somehow prompted you guys to say this. This is so deep in our culture. Well, I have never what? Say it killed anybody. Well, you're, you're just holy. You never killed anybody. What are they really saying? Therefore, I am what? Better than somebody that's killed somebody. Really? Are you really? Not according to James. For the person who keeps all the laws, never kill anybody, except one, they lied, is guilty as a person who's broken all the laws of God. Boy, that just kind of leaves you, pink. whoa. Thanks for giving us some wiggle room, Jesus. For the person who's kept all the laws except one. It would have been nice to go, a handful. One, one. So if I've lied, that makes me, sin is both a condition and it's also an action. It's both. Let me help everybody, okay? God doesn't grade on a curve. How many of y'all used to love teachers grade on a curve, you know? We're all dumb in here. Come on, let's start with a four. That's a B. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, this is awesome. This teacher's amazing, man. I got an A. I made an 11. <laughs> I mean, God, God knows a grade on a curve. So, so let's just do this for a minute. Let, let's have some fun. Here, here it is. You guys ready? Let's just have some fun. Let's, let's just kind of grade on a curve for a minute. Y'all ready? Because this, this is how America thinks about salvation. Let, let's grade on a curve, all right? Zero being incarnate evil, 100 being top-notch, top of the list, right? Top shelf. Here it is, all right? Ready? So zero. So let's grade. Let me give you a couple figures. We're going to grade it. Y'all ready? Hitler. What would we give him? What score? Zero? Okay, let's give him a zero. You're way down there. He got a zero. Okay, he got a, got a zero. How about Mother Teresa? What should we give Mother Teresa? Ah, pretty high. At 90? Okay. Not somebody said 90. Okay, so we'll give Mother Teresa 90. She can't be 100 because she'd be Jesus. Plus, I've read a lot of her books, and she's an amazing woman. I've read a lot of her books. Amazing woman. A little bit of anger issue there, okay? <laughs> I say that respectfully, and I say this pridefully. This is sin. I've read more books than anybody in this room about Mother Teresa. So, I'm sorry. That's pride, so I'm way down the list. But anyway, so... So she's an amazing woman, but she, she had struggled with depression, a little bit of anger issue attached to that, which is inward depression. Okay, so here's the deal. So we can't give her 100. She'd be Jesus. Give her 90. It's a lot higher than Hitler. Okay. Let's see. Who do I put down next? Oh, Pastor Steve. I, I, gave, myself, I gave myself a 95. Is that too high? <laughs> Is that too high? I, I can readjust it. Hold on. I'm just... I'm sorry, I was in a prayerful moment. I thought I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> this is the truth. Nobody's perfect. And God does not grade on a curve. He doesn't grade on a curve. Because a curve's all about comparison. The only comparison we compare ourselves with is perfection, Jesus. And here's the deal. We're imperfect. 
and he's perfect. So what do we do? How can an imperfect go to a perfect place called heaven? Because you guys were here at the Revelation series two years ago. There's no sin in heaven. So I can't bring my sin into heaven. Romans 6.23 says it this way. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's really what happened in 1987, October of 87, 26, my freshman year in college. I owned, here it is, I owned my sin, not my mistakes, my sin. And because I owned my sin, I was ready to receive forgiveness from a Savior. Number three, he knew Jesus was more than a man. Look at Luke 23, 41. Here it is. Two more points, I'm done. We deserve to die. We deserve to die for our crimes. We deserve it. But this man, remember, here's a guy on the side. He's yelling at this guy. But this man has done nothing wrong. Nothing. Have you ever met anybody that's done nothing wrong? None of us have. We've tried to play with Pastor Doug Armand because he's a phenomenal Christian. But everybody sinned. Every single one of us. This guy recognized something unique about Jesus, though. Don't miss this. This is the gospel. The uniqueness of Jesus is this. Yes, he was a full man, but he was also fully God. But in his humanity, listen to me, he never sinned. Because he never sinned. Remember the Old Testament? They had all these sacrifices in the Old Testament, these lamb and sheep and all this. It was, it was who were the ones that could be sacrificed? It was the spotless lamb, the perfect lamb that would be sacrificed for the imperfect. And what was the cross about? I'll tell you what the cross was about. The cross was about the spotless lamb of God. John, remember, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was the Lamb of God. Perfect, perfect. It was perfection, don't miss this, that died for us. Imperfection so that we can be cleansed, so that we could spend eternity in perfection in heaven with the perfect one, God himself. That's the gospel. It's the great exchange. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God had Christ, who was sinless, perfect, take our sin in perfection, so that we might receive God's perfection through him. Do we still mess up? Yeah. But we still have the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. But I do not stand right before God because of my efforts, but because of Christ. This man knew that Jesus was more than a man. He, he, he understood something. He understood that he was perfect. Let me give you the fourth and final point. He knew only grace could save him. This is so powerful. This is so profound. Verse 42, here's what he said. Here's the guy. He's about to die. Here it is. Jesus. Now he's not talking to this guy anymore over here. He's talking right to Jesus. Jesus, remember me. Wow. The scripture goes on to say, and Jesus looked at him in verse 43, and he says, today you, you will be with me. In paradise. As I close, listen to me. This is so important. What was he doing? What was that man doing? I tell you what he was doing. We sing the song right here. Call upon the name of the Lord. What he was doing is he was calling out to Jesus. It wasn't deeply profound theologically. The word structure. I'm into words. I understand words and I understand all that stuff and etymological understanding and words and what they mean. But I'm going to tell you something. Words are important, but I'm going to tell you what's more important than words 
it's the heart behind the words. Because sometimes people can get all the words right, called Pharisees, but their hearts are away from God. This guy didn't, some bold prayer just said, he didn't, some, he wasn't some fluent prayer. It was, Jesus, remember me. And in that prayer was, God, I need forgiveness. God, I need salvation. God, I've come to the end of myself. And God, I need you. That's what that prayer was. And when Jesus heard the heart and heard the words, you know what? Today you're going to be with me in paradise. I want to say something to you. Listen to me so closely. Notice what that guy did not do. Do not misunderstand what I'm about to say. Notice what that guy did not do. That guy did not have an opportunity to feed the poor. He did not have the opportunity, watch this, to do any good works. Pastor, as a Christian, aren't we supposed to do good works? Absolutely. But we don't do good works in order to be right with God. We do good works because we are right with God. Does that make sense? He couldn't do anything. Salvation is not about what our effort is. That's called discipleship. Salvation, coming into a relationship with God, it's all grace. Everybody say, all grace. What is grace? God, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. The salvation, free. Forgiveness, free. Righteousness, free. It's all God. It's all Jesus. So, how do we make it through a bad day in a rough season? One of the ways, and I believe the foundational way, and I'm going to build each week on this, is that there's an assurance in our heart that we know that we know that we know no matter how tough it is, it's coming to better tomorrow. This week, my son, I'll close with this. My son said to me, he says, um, this is, the, I, I have a hard time even saying this. He said, Dad, you're almost 50. I can't even reconcile that thought. I don't feel that old. Respectfully speaking, I don't look that old. <laughs> don't judge me. But I, I'm thinking, fifth, that's crazy. I'm playing Little League Baseball at Gerard Playground in Metairie, man. In my mind, I'm like, I'll knock it over the fence. I was 50. It's crazy. Other than the fact of it's a reality. Listen to me. And this life is moving fast. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. For the Christian, all it is for us is we're getting closer to our eternal home. Isn't that awesome? To heaven. That's what it's about, to spend eternity with God. Let, let, me, let me pray for you. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. And Holy Spirit, I, I thank you that you are here. And it's the Spirit of God that gives us deep assurance in our heart after we've trusted Christ that we know that we know that we're right with God. If you're in this place today and you're not sure about your relationship with God, you're not sure if you die today that you're ready to stand before God, I want to pray for you. I want to be very clear for all of our campuses, the Orleans Justice Center, Gulf Coast, South Shore, our online campus watching us right now. I want to be very, very sure. I can't save you. Church of the King can't save you. But let me tell you what I can do. I can point to the one who saves. 
His name is Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Are you sure if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? Do you know that you know? Is there an assurance? The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit is an inner witness. The Spirit of God gives us assurance that we're right with God because we've trusted Christ. Well, how does that happen? Well, we call out to Jesus. We recognize our need for a Savior because of our sin. All of us. All of us need Jesus. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure I'm right with God. I want to pray and surrender my heart to Jesus. If that's you, the count of three. At every one of our campuses, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands if you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. If that's you, I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to wait. The count of three, I want you to lift your hand up high so I can see it. One, two, you need Jesus. Three, can you just lift your hand up high so I can see it?